Welcome to Why the Long Face, two old friends lifting the lid on mental health over a beer with author and psychiatrist Paul Keedwell and business consultant and so-called comedian Ollie Turnbull. Hello everyone and welcome to Why the Long Face. We're still in season four and this is uh, season 4.6, the sixth episode in our series with Ash Pollock, our friend who has very bravely shared audio files and some sessions he's had with his life coach with me and Dr. Paul Keedwell uh, during a, a bipolar episode that he recently had. Uh, and again, we're eternally grateful for him, particularly for this one, because this one's, uh, yeah, not the most positive one. Uh, I'm with Dr. Paul as ever, and we are talking about the crash, Paul, yeah? Yeah. Uh, not entirely positive, but some of it is positive, I think. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. And Ash, of course, is joining us uh, this week, as ever, uh, to talk through his life and dive into his mind. Um, hi, Ash, you okay? Yes, very good. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to this one because, um, yeah, there's been all these learnings in the previous episodes, and this is the challenging bit. But the positive of it is um, leaning into that. Uh, there, there are some positives in the lows. That's my main learning this time. So it'd be great to extract those. Yeah, I love this leaning into it. It comes up quite a lot. And of course, this is part of an arc that ends up positive. So we have to have um, some challenges. So without further ado, let's roll the tape uh, and talk about um, a couple of audio clips that uh, Pete and Ash uh, discussed recently. And, uh, and this is The Crash. Hi, my name's Ashley. For the last 12 years, I've said I used to have bipolar. Hi, my name's Peter. I'm a life coach and I'm Ash's life coach. So we're back again, Pete. We're back again. And it's a, a pretty key time in this whole narrative because we are now flipping from the high to the low. And so in the last episode and talking with Paul and Ollie, we sort of left it on a bit of a cliffhanger, which was I had been in the UK on this trip, which wasn't illogical, but was probably a bit unwarranted. And I came back to Ibiza and a friend was having their birthday party. And my attitude was, I'm going to approach this party in as full on a way as the work that I was doing. So I was really looking forward to this party and went along, had a late night, had a lot of fun, woke up the next day and I felt very calm and I keep mentioning calm in these audio notes but I did I felt um just a bit more almost relaxed like the pace had sort of gone one thing I know very clearly that happened on that day is I drew a picture I was drawing with my son and I drew with some crayons various different flowers and then I wrote this is how much I love you to Justine and so I remember that after that party I was very tuned in to feelings love and joy and just enjoying that moment with Ernest I was very tuned in to the small things Ernest being your son yes yeah. and maybe I'm post rationalizing here now or maybe it's the joy of these sessions which bring these things out but almost by being tuned into those small things, my perspective shifted after that party. 
And that first day it was positive. But the next day I was due to meet a developer to go through the plans for what we were building. And I started feeling quite anxious about that in the evening. I started to kind of question it a bit. But I sort of put it to one side. I guess I thought I've been to a party, I've had a late night, it's probably a bit of a hangover. And so the next day I went to meet up with this chap in a coffee shop and I took my deck that I had been presenting to investors and confidently selling this dream. And as I was sitting with him, I could hear myself not believing what I was saying. I'd, something had shifted and I, I couldn't connect with it in the same way. So I was able to talk about the plans, but it was almost like in the back of my head, I was questioning everything that was coming out of my mouth. And I met up with some other people on that day. So I was still functioning. Now, this is very different from the crashes I had in my 20s, which would happen in a day. It'd literally be a day I, I would, the perspective would flip, like juggling balls yeah. and then dropping one and then yeah. realizing I'd drop one and then dropping another and dropping another. And so what is it this time instead of that? Well, this time it happened over the course of, it was more like a trip and a stumble and mm. a sort of slower fall right, right. but it was still a fall mm. i think potentially another element that was going on is there was much more complexity this time and so whereas in my 20s when they just offered me a job and i had to go and hide in the toilet and leave it was fairly simple really i was in a thing i couldn't be there go this time my wife and I and our friend are working in the business. We've got six people who are along for the ride. We're having weekly meetings and everyone's really excited about the vision and extricating myself from that. For me to be able to pick apart what was going on mm. and take the right steps, uh, so there was to too much. So to slow down. So the, the, there was a fear of slowing down because there was so much momentum going in the business. Is that what I understand? Yeah, maybe it wasn't even fear. It's just the reality that mm. there was lots of people that I'd brought into the business who needed to be paid because they were being paid from us getting the funding from the vision. Yeah, so there's no time for you. Yeah, and, and mm. also as that stumble started, there's not just the realization of what's come before. It's also, and probably this is what, really caused it to turn from a stumble into a real drop is the realization that my own incapacity to do anything moving forward is going to have a significant effect mm. <clears throat> particularly with the gardening business that it was me that was driving it and without me driving it what was it right and the garden season had just started right so it's almost like all of a sudden you're facing down the barrel of a shotgun yeah is it? Hmm. I think in a way, it's like kind of returning to a childlike state. Mm -hmm. In what way? So I don't think it's like staring down the barrel of a gun. I think it's just wanting to curl up and, and the world to keep on going and you to stop in that world. All right. Mm. So mm. it wasn't a fear of of staring at something it was just like questioning and then literally within three days i'm starting to not 
function. Right, so it's almost like you're pulling back and slowing down and coming into yourself to protect yourself. Yes. Right. Yes, and I think if we come back to the audio notes again, there's this gap. So this crash happens around the 20th of March, I think. It was my son's birthday party on the 26th, and it was my birthday on the 28th. And so there is no audio note until the first... No, sorry, there's one on the 30th of March and there's one on the 1st of April. So this week happens where all this stuff goes on. And actually, the the first audio note was me stopping and wanting to get down on a recording what had just happened mm. because I wasn't tracking it as it was happening. And whereas the previous ones, I think, was the beginning of March, one in the middle of March, and then there's the last episode, which wasn't even an audio note, it was a message to Josh. Now the audio notes, so I've got 30th of March, the 1st of April, the 1st of April again, then on the 2nd, 1, 2, 3, 4 audio notes, the 3rd, the 4th, the 4th, the 4th, the 4th, the 4th, the 5th, the 5th, the 5th, the 5th, the 5th, the 6th, the 6th, the 6th, the 6th, I think you see where this is going, 7th, the 9th, the 11th, the 12th. And what does this regular ramp up in regularity tell you now looking back at it? So this perception of a depressed person as being a, uh, a, a person who sort of switched off is completely inaccurate. Mm. I think what's going on inside the mind is more exhausting than at any other stage. Mm-hmm. Because in a way, your brain is, I was going to use the word broken. I don't know if it's the right word, but I'm going to use it. I think my brain is trying to work out what's broken and fix it. Yeah. yeah. But, but you're in a state where the where the brain is not connecting the dots together like it was. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to solve a conundrum with a piece of equipment that isn't operating properly. Yeah. And that I think is what rumination is. Mm. It's this spinning constant assessment of everything. Yeah. And what I can see with the audio notes is I've then externalized that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of what we've coached around is stepping out of the rumination, out of the constant negative slant on the analyzation and coming back into a flow state, coming back into what gives you joy, coming back into what gives you momentum and a feeling of like contribution. And, you know, and we've been talking around different things like that. But, and so it's really interesting that at this peak in a way, um, not mood peak, but activity peak, it's, it's really like got to get this stuff out. Yeah, Paul mentioned in a previous episode about the distinction between mood and energy. Mm -hmm. And I'm increasingly, having now got into a bit more research on the brain, there was a talk I saw that was about, is bipolar an energy disorder rather than a mood disorder? Mm. And this interplay of mood and energy, because there's a lot going on here. It's quite energetic, even though I'm low. Mm Mm-hmm. So physically, and so it is interesting that at this point, externally, there's not a lot going on, but internally in my head, there's more energy of thought Mm. than in the high state almost. In the high state, you're like, I can do anything. I don't need to think about anything. It's just in this very doing state. The brain is making the internet connections almost for you, it feels Mm -hmm. like. It's not hard work. This is hard thinking. And so... 
we're going to play a few snippets from a few audio notes rather than going through all of them. That would take ages. But I remember externally that I wasn't functioning quite quickly within four or five days. And my wife and I work from a co-working space where we're recording now, the hub. And so I did not want to move, but I've always made an effort to push myself even when I don't want to do things. Like when I was really low in my 20s, I used to go to parties even though I didn't want to because I just forced myself to to not dwell in the state I was in. Yep, yep. And so there are many days over the month or so that this low took place where um, we would drive to work in the morning and if Justin was asking me questions I couldn't cope with or I was overwhelmed by, I'd just fall asleep. And if I understand correctly, you became overwhelmed quite easily oh, in this very. period. Uh, one, <laughs> at this time, uh, my father, who had passed away, we were clearing his house. Mm-hmm. There was one event, I remember, which was my mum and my father-in-law were helping to clear the house. And they were taking everything to a storage facility. And something went wrong at the storage facility. They didn't have the key or something. And my mum rung me a bit stressed. And I I literally had to hand the phone straight over. I couldn't even engage. Even if it was as simple as, oh, you just need to call this person and get the key. Mm. I, really stressful and really overwhelming. So a, ra- um, a random thing that needed managing was just too much. Plus the fact I hadn't told my mum because I was worried about the impact on her. So yeah, I was also right. keeping that. Yeah, so you're still. Trying, to, trying to hold it in. Yeah, there yeah. was a bit of, particularly around my mum who had mm. had her own challenges during COVID, I was trying to protect her from it, which right. is obviously... You know, you need to be open and honest. So very lethargic, very uh, overwhelmed, unable to do tasks. I remember being here at the hub with my computer and just staring at it for two hours Mm. and barely writing a sentence. Mm. So externally, that is happening. But then internally, uh, maybe let's play one of these audio notes. I'm still thinking about a lot of stuff and I'm still processing. I'm fascinated by the sleeping reaction. Have you read anything about that or heard anything about that from no. anyone else? I'm really fascinated by that. I mean, I've been tuning into a lot of Abraham Hicks lately as a source of inspiration for me. And she talks about if you can't get out of your head, if you can't think about something that gives you joy, go to sleep. So I find it really interesting that at some level you've got a system kicking in here of what I see as a protection system. Yep. I mean, maybe not ideally if you're driving, but very interesting at some point from a bigger picture point of view of the body being an integrative solution seeking system yep uh, yeah i i i mean we've talked already on this podcast and it's becoming a bit more of a belief for me now about leaning into your states yeah right yeah i embraced sleepiness yeah right uh, being at the hub here and finding there's a little nook just around the corner from here actually where you can lie down and no one can see you i went and laid there a number of times right right but i did get out I, in my depressions, let's call them that, there weren't many times where I just didn't leave the room. I don't think. It was a lot of time spent in bed or watching stuff. And You're talking this year it. or like when you 20s? Yeah, back in my 20s. Oh, yeah, right. Um, it was hard to get out the door to go for a walk, but I still wanted to. Let's jump into the audio notes and let's play some snippets. and Let's then do it. It's the longest about... introduction yet. <laughs> I had a really good day today, actually. I got up in the morning, woke up early, got Ernie up, prepared his sandwich, got breakfast together, got all organised. I was feeling very positive after 
last night where we moved furniture around and sorted out the living room. Although if I'm honest, I wasn't sure about most of the things we were doing, but I went along with what Justine was saying, whereas normally I would <laughs> state my view, put up a fight. But anyway, it looks really nice. <clears throat> and uh, so I went into the hub and I was feeling quite tired. Wanted to have a lie down. But yes, Ernie? I'm just talking to myself, recording. You can have a go with that. So, what I hear here is um, an awareness of a good day. Um, tiredness. You sound a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> or tired, to be more specific. <laughs> Very different energy here. Yeah. Mm. Would that be fair to say? And you even say it right. You're like, you, you've arrived at the hub, our co working space where we are. And instead of a co working space, you want it to be a co sleeping space, or maybe not co. <laughs> and I think, that's, I think that's a real interesting marker. You know, and the other thing that stands out for me here is an awareness, and and it's subtle in here, but we've talked about it off air, is that when you're moving the furniture around with just your wife the night before this recording, you didn't speak up. You perhaps were holding yourself back. Mm. Yeah, Maybe that's an interesting area to sort of look at today. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely hear lethargy in yeah. this. Yeah. I have a terrible memory, but I remember making this audio note because I walked out into the garden and I sat down in this hanging chair that we've got and I felt it would be good to capture what was happening because it had actually been a good sort of week, probably a week of quite intense stuff and I hadn't made any audio notes. My son's birthday, my birthday. And and then, and then Ernie interrupts me. I mean... <laughs> The key thing is that the joy of being a parent and having responsibility for someone is through the whole of this low, I was still able to get him dressed, feed him, get him to school. The simplicity of dogs and children, there's a lot of complexity, but the simplicity of routine and structure and having to, you know, keep a thing alive, um, I was able to do those things. Right. <laughs> I was able to go yeah. shopping or to do tasks-based activities. Yeah. But your point about Justine, yes, I I felt at this point that I couldn't express myself at all. And when moving the furniture around together. Yeah. Justine, and we have to bear in mind, right, you and I are talking on here, but there's a another person in the picture that hasn't got a voice. I think I've only just realized in the last week or two what happened to Justine as an impact of this in the last week or two speaking today sorry yeah today yeah, right yeah, yeah 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 so what Justine had to deal with so immediately mm, yeah because yeah, um, yeah. she reached out to a, a previous coach of hers yeah uh, she only told me that the other day so she started getting on and doing things and I found that extremely uncomfortable mm. uh, we're doing work in our garden she progressed with the planning of that she wanted to move the room around it almost felt like she was taking advantage of the fact that I wasn't putting up a fight. That's mm. how it felt in my head, which is... And do you think that's fair silly. now, looking back? Do you think that's accurate? No, I think she was getting on with her life. It's just our lives are intertwined. Yeah, so I still don't up, getting... agree with the way the living room's been laid out. I think it's better <laughs> before. <laughs> um, uh, um, the feminine, masculine design yeah, tastes. Yeah, 
No, yeah. she got on with things, and and the hard thing when you're in that kind of state is you don't want to get on with things. So if someone else that's that close to you is getting on with things, it's uncomfortable. Interesting, right? Whereas um, potentially, from a bigger picture point of view, as an entity, as a three-person family, three and a half with the dog, or four, four heartbeats, as you might call it, yeah. she's, you might argue, carrying the load. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, at the same time, she made a point to me, and I think this was part of the realization and the rumination even, she made quite a few points that I was much easier to be with in this state, that she was happier with yeah. me in this state, which again tortured me because yeah, it's like I'm that. going yeah. through these intense feelings of feeling crap about myself and feeling I'm I'm a burden and that I am having a negative impact on people. And then you're telling me you're happier with me like this than in the high but then I could see more clearly that in the high I had been irritable. I had been running at such a pace and expecting everyone else to go at that pace and being annoyed when they weren't. And I could see that sort of Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. And I, and I think one of the things that we've talked about is perception and where we put our attention, yeah? And the words that stood out to me just now, and I know we're not in a live coaching session, but yeah. the words that stood out to me just now is that she was happier with the state that I was in, which is a state you didn't want to be in. And she's actually not saying that. She's actually just saying it was easier for her. Yes. And, and it's really, and that's really interesting, right? Like the, where, where the mind goes, you know, how do we interpret somebody else's message? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Or misconstrue, to yes. be honest. Yeah. Should we jump into the next one? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. Let's do a few little yeah. snippety bits. So 1st of April, this is the, the next day. I'm realizing that this is just the point that I need to capture an audio journal. In fact, it would have been interesting to do one every day over the last week or two, and I haven't. And so I've just pulled over in the car to note down today, the 1st of April, how I am feeling, where I'm at. I'm feeling like this period of a down or a readjustment was inevitable. It was triggered by a kind of blowout that I felt I needed, but really this is this is the rebalancing that I need. I'm trying to keep calm about everything. I know this stuff will pass, but I'm kind of caught more on the consequences of my actions on other people and kind of leaning into that and understanding why I feel those things, but also acknowledging what I am and am not responsible for. It's been good this week to exercise, but one of the things that I've kind of realized driving home today is my body's just not operating at normal capacity. So like breaking glasses or not being able to play tennis, my sort of judgment of space is a bit disorientated as well. If I lean into that and I think about that's the messenger rather than the message. That's about, I need support around me and I can assist and do work to support others, but I can't lead on things. I need support and that's okay. I'm having kind of good days and bad days. Normally good most of the day and then sort of bad evening or bad morning and then good day, but mostly times of 
positive and upbeat stuff. So playing tennis just today was frustrating that I couldn't play as well, but also lovely to be in the sunshine and to be with other people. And then this morning, the company call was a little overwhelming. Um, but then I achieved something with the plumber at the same time. So I got some things done. I think my learning there was I was just trying to do too much. And I just need to acknowledge I'm not able to do as much in the moment. So this one on the 1st of April is really interesting for me. The things that stand out for me that I'm always attuned to, because I've had periods of pretty, what I consider pretty personally severe dips. And, but I've always been lucky. I've, I count myself blessed that I've known that it will pass. And what stands out to me here is that you say that you know this will pass. But also I know from offline, as this was playing, we were talking offline, and you were saying that you're presenting yourself to the recording. <laughs> so can you tell me more about knowing that it will pass, but maybe not embodying that wisdom, not accepting that wisdom? Yeah, it was as we were listening there that I realized maybe I am presenting something of a picture of myself to these audio notes. Mm. So maybe it's not truly authentic with what I'm actually feeling. Mm. Maybe there's part of that that is, I don't just want to say out loud the sort of pain. I want to talk about how I'm going to do something about it, which is great. But at this time... What isn't captured in these audio notes was that I felt that I was having a net negative effect on people's lives. Yeah, I remember talking about that. Yeah, so that so I brought all these people along for this ride and everyone loved and were excited about it. But now I felt like I was a fraud who had had sort of let them down. No, just kind of that it was kind of a lie almost mm. or a kind of pretense or mm. something like I was some kind of huckster or fraudster or whatever. Mm. There was a, a feeling or a desire to disappear mm. that I had very strongly. And if we were to push that further, I heard something recently about um, when psychiatrists are doing an assessment that they assess where, whether someone has not suicidal thoughts, but suicidal intentions. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely having very dark thoughts. There were, there were two things I remember very specifically. One was that we're in Spain and we've got a car here that needed to get back to the UK. We were due to be taking it back. And when I had this overriding sense of wanting to disappear, I said to my wife, look, I'm not being much use here. Let me, let, I'll drive the car back with the dog. I'll drive it back to the UK, I'll just do something. It's a task. What I was actually thinking was that I would drive up to the mountains and just disappear. But I'm very clear, I almost was ready to pack my bag to do it. And I felt in control to do it. Uh, that was one thing that happened, which we can pick apart. I picked apart with Josh from my men's group. He challenged me that being a bit cheeky, what if I had done that? Mm. And maybe my brain was just trying to tell me something, which is, being around the people that you are close to and that you love and that love you is hard, is hard because they can see how different you are. Mm. Whereas if you're on your own, I think there might be a perception that that was about me trying to run away from myself. I don't think it was actually. I think it was just to have isolation and space to be in the state I'm in, even though that was uncomfortable. Mm. The other one I remember is I was walking the dog 
each day. And that's probably why there's a lot of these audio notes. I'd go for a walk, I'd do these audio notes. And near our house, there are some cliffs. And I remember on a couple of occasions going out and sort of standing in a position near the edge of these cliffs and not thinking I want to kill myself, but standing near the edge and embracing how powerful it felt to not want to kill myself, mm. even though I was feeling awful. Mm. Right, right. I mean, that's... A, that was two big things there. <laughs> yeah, but also, but that, but the thing that comes to my mind, that's a beautiful awareness that you had in that moment. Yeah. You know, being empowered by the fact that you didn't want to do what you could do, and more importantly, that you felt that you wanted to stay, even though you were currently having a terrible time. I remember looking around the house and just thinking how selfish I am of having my guitar and having my keyboard and having my things and my stuff. Whereas Justine's the one that's built security. I felt awful about that. Mm. Um, so you're digging in really deeply to your sense of self, your sense of identity, your positive or negative impact in the world. And looking at the somewhat negative side of all of those. Yes, and you're doing it with this broken machine that's your brain. Mm, that's interesting. And so there are things that I just thought were irrevocably damaged or buggered up or whatever, that as I progressed out of this lower period, I started to try and solve. And my main learning is shouldn't have bothered because there was something I ruminated about for days. And once I was better, I fixed it in an hour. Right. Amazing. So... Yeah. You were saying to me at the time to focus on on nurturing and looking after myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Get off and I was topic. trying to do that, yeah. but at the same time, I was like searching for jobs. Yeah, right. You know, what am I going to do? Like, what should I be doing? How am I going to give security for my family? The huge, which was the topic constructs. that were giving you stress in the first place, anyway. Yeah. So you're adding that in on top of the state you're actually in, right? Completely overwhelming. Compounding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Looking for more overwhelmed without knowing it. Exactly. The other thing that stands out to me here is something we've talked about and something I talk to a lot of my clients about, which is converting what we think is the message, a feeling, an emotion, a reaction, anxiety, converting that from the message to the messenger and then trusting that the messenger has a message for us. Mm -hmm. And that frees up so much space. And it's been a game changer in my coaching, bringing this to my clients. And can you tell me a little bit more about what this tool gave you on that day? Yes. I mean, we've obviously known each other longer, but our conversations at this point were fundamental to me figuring some of this out so when you talk about that construct that reminds me of the first time you mentioned it to me which was i was on a dog walk and yeah. we were talking and then i got a stitch yeah that's right yeah uh, this really painful feeling in my in my chest and it got worse yeah, and yeah. worse and, and it, worse and we were talking yeah, and, it stopped and i was like I'm, I, yeah i said i'm sorry i can't talk I've got this pain mm. and you said about um you know that the pain potentially being the messenger rather yep. than the message. Yeah, yeah. And I ended up, first of all, sitting down and then lying down on mm. rocks on this really uncomfortable thing in agony, complete agony. And we were on a call for like 20 minutes where mm. I hardly said anything. 
and just breathing into the feeling. And it felt really reassuring to be in pain, mm. physically in pain, mm. when mental pain is hard to kind of express outwardly. This was sort of simple. The thing that so, comes, yeah. The, the thing that comes to my mind here is that you're allowing your body space to be heard, which is potentially opposite to or much more gracious towards your body than when you're in the build-up stage, when you were super busy. And that statement that you just made there, that it felt good to be in pain, I think that's really interesting because we want, the different parts of us want to be heard. And the last one that stands out to me is you're mentioning the tennis game. And I also know from our <laughs> off-air conversations about what, you call the, what did you call that game, a disaster or something that you just drop in the ball all the time? So I play tennis here and there was a, a tennis meetup and I could not hit the ball. All of my, um, what's the word I'm looking Coordination. for? Coordination. Coordination, completely out the window, mm. which again felt like or if I assess it now, the brain just not connecting the dots together. Because mm. playing something like tennis is pretty hard, right? You've got a ball moving at a speed. You've got to put your body in the right place to then move your arm at the right time to hit the... And none of that was timing up. Right. I was hitting it. It was going off at an angle. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing. And also, because it's quite a lot of people that I don't know really well... I couldn't say, look, chaps, I'm, I'm in this funk at the moment. Yeah, I wasn't, wasn't bothered how I came across. Yeah. And since I've kind of chatted to people and joked about that. Yeah. And then challenged them to a, another game where I'm going to thrash them this time because now my coordination's on, on point. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get you need to get matched up with people when you're in a dip, and then challenge them. Exactly. Challenge them two might months be, later. Might be a way to win Wimbledon. <laughs> I think that's a wrap for today. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, yeah, that was a bit um, that was a bit hard to listen to in parts. Not because um, someone in pain, but it was a friend, and that was uh, uh, you really felt for. I really felt for you there, Ash, in some of those times. A lot of it was again, like we said before, very much you. But you, with your colour drained out of you. Um, I know it's your job, Paul, but um, did you find it hard to listen to, particularly seeing as we know and love Ash? Um, or do you, do you sort of get acclimatised to it after a while, I suppose, maybe? No, I don't think you ever get acclimatised to people suffering uh, in my job. And it's the same with Ash. You know, you can hear his suffering a bit there in that one, can't you? Mm. The The tone is quite monotone and... You clearly can just tell from your speech uh, that you're quite slowed up. You're quite slowed up mentally, uh, got reduced energy and so on. The other thing I spotted earlier on, Paul, was that um, this presentation deck, which I'm sure was brilliant, is very creative geezer, our Ash. Um, he suddenly lost confidence in it and he looked at the presentation yeah, deck and yeah, saw, oh I, God, I don't believe any of this shit. And it's just like, oh my God, that that's, that's you, you're, you're being... Um, uh your your whole brain function is being focused towards a negative if you like if you're in this if you're in this low i found that very um distinctive because he's normally so positive and suddenly the deck to him seems completely unconvincing well uh, certainly less convincing it, it it really yeah that that's that sort of stood out for me as well this feeling that well um i'm losing confidence in the idea as i'm presenting it but you still manage to present it but as you look at that now, after the event, I kind of feel now, looking at it with an eagle eye view, that 
taking a positive here, that it was a very um, over-pragmatic, over-realistic of every problem that could happen. Whereas in the high, I had mm. no concept of that. If you take the two together, there's probably some amazing balance of having mm. very strong awareness of both the possibilities and also the things that could trip you up. Um, I mean, I listened to this. Uh, you're saying you can hear that I'm flatter. I'm aware, and I think I mentioned to, to Pete, that I'm presenting a version of myself here. Because when I listen back to this, it doesn't sound like I felt then. And I think the act of doing these audio notes is me trying to process what's happening so that I can move forward with positivity. But I felt pretty much more bleak than this audio note, I think, captures in this case. Well, we both picked up on it. You say you would, you were, as a lot of depressive people do, you're trying to put on a front to show that you're functioning normally. But there's just a little bit, I suppose perhaps it's with Ollie and I, it's a bit different because we see a lot of mental health problems and we talk about them a lot. And so perhaps we're picking up on on those uh, subtle signs a, a bit more i mean they are clinical signs you know they're not symptoms as such you're not you know you're not saying oh i'm depressed you're not i mean you do actually describe some symptoms but it's the signs it's the the, the slowed slowed speech the the fact that speech is less has less rhythm less prosody as they call it and um so it's more monotone but yeah i mean i think i'm just picking up on what you said about um the I think you you said more realistic or more prog pragmatic view of your proposed business. I think you're right that um, there are some advantages to depression in terms of what we call depressive realism. So at some point in the, in the course of a depression, before it deepens too much perhaps, there is a sort of the shine comes off which the people say the normal normal functioning is overly optimistic that's sort of normal functioning of our of our brains and then when you're wrapped up in the in a business plan and you, you do become very enthusiastic and that's great so in a way that a bit of depressive realism is helpful this awareness of potential pitfalls but of course if you were like that all the time it would be quite paralyzing mm, absolutely um yeah well, one other thought that occurs like hearing you say that and the point I just made before is as a patient going to see a psychiatrist I recall it was many years ago now that similarly I was sort of putting on not a show but telling a story about myself rather than actually necessarily getting to the core of the stuff I was really feeling I wonder in your yeah. experience as a psychiatrist I guess that's what you mean with subtle signs because people don't necessarily reveal openly their vulnerabilities unless they really 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 trust someone yeah well it's, it's a that's right it's a combination of how someone comes across during the consultation and the story the narrative you know what's been happening um and i suppose drilling down to the point where someone doesn't get away with just you know uh, avoiding the issues and not and not describing the symptoms and not yeah. uh I, I mean if you feel if i feel that someone's very very guarded about it and i'm not saying this is and this is not value judgment when so people do are guarded because you know you don't want to be entirely vulnerable do you 
But then I might go to, say, Justine and say, okay, Justine, from your point of view, how has Ash been, you know, and get another perspective. Uh, it's easy. It's, 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 I think it was this episode where you said uh, it was easier for Justine to cope with your lows than your highs. And I, I kind of hear that a lot. Yeah, that's that's come up again very recently, actually, with openness mm. now that I'm brackets better, because I think mm. we're still processing. I think Justine is still processing what has just happened. I've worked mm. really hard to to get out of this and have applied for jobs and been headhunted and, you know, yeah. moving forward with positivity. I think Justine's I get the impression there's a kind of repercussion effect on her afterwards. And that's causing I don't mean to turn this into therapy, but I think that balance mm. of being in a relationship, being married and the journey that you're both on and the effect that you're having on each other and particularly I'm having on Justine as someone who's been through this, um, that that's challenging. So that perception is not a perception. Justine found it easier and was happier when I was down than when I was high. And mm. that's very hard to hear um, mm. uh, when, when the person you love is saying that. Why is it? Why is that? Sorry, I was going to say, why is that particularly hard to hear that one mood pole is di more difficult for her to cope with than the other? Because of this line with bipolar, but I think the same with depression, between mental health and your character and your personality and the things that you do. And, and so, yeah, as I've come out of this... Uh, there's bits where I felt, oh, I'm back into the flow of things. I mean, one example being um, in Ibiza, it was very hot. It's hot now in the UK. And coincidentally, I'm now downstairs from Paul in his house. So I'm actually over the seas. But but back in Ibiza, it was really hot and I couldn't concentrate during the day. So I was finding it easier to work at night. And I think Justin got a bit scared by that. I, I don't know that for sure. But my impression was she was like, oh, gosh, Ashley's working in the evening. And oh, that's a bad thing. That could be um, that could be Ash having another hypermanic uh, episode or manic episode. Hmm. Yeah, or it could it's just funny, be it's hot. <laughs> well, I think it's uh, yeah. just easier to manage. I mean, it sounds awful, but you're not as irritable, I think you said, and you're not um, as de sort of demanding. Um, the other thing that came up is that you don't challenge either. Mm. Um, mm. What you said in the first audio, thirtieth of March one, you were saying you, you're saying I couldn't fight Justine. I could, <laughs> I could do the simple things like looking after the dogs and the children. In other words, the things that it's like Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. needs. You, yeah. you could do the things that you needed to do, but you couldn't do more than sophisticated stuff like arguing with your wife. <laughs> and it wasn't like <laughs> arguing, but it was more like um, you know when when Justin says we should do this with the living room. Normally you would say, have you thought about this? Uh, and then, but in, in your state, that's one of the things that you can sort of put on the back burner because your energy is so low yeah. so you're just like you go along with it. I love the way you said I still don't like the way the rooms are arranged yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> funny. yeah basically you couldn't do any of that passive aggressive shit that couples do <laughs> like, <laughs> no wonder she you found it easy she got her own way the whole time <laughs> it's like, well yeah you, you could put the sofa there you could do that that's one way of yeah. doing it yeah <laughs> I mean I, I have because look I've started the beginning of all of these episodes when I'm talking to Pete, uh, saying that this hasn't happened for a long time, over a decade. And I, I am finding it hard, that sense of being 
judged for what my behavior and what I'm doing now. It feels very uncomfortable in my 40s. In my 20s, I'd have put up with it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fair enough, whatever. Now I'm, I'm sort of, I've come out of this feeling stronger and feeling like more is possible, not in a manic way, but just understanding my value and being very focused on, on putting some sort of framework in place, particularly around work and employment and, and um, salary. And so I'm very clear, and I think maybe that means that I'm, I could be perceived to be being irritable in settings. It's this, these lines, right? When you talk about irritability, I'm imagining that both of you in the last probably week or two have got irritated by something. It is a human emotion, a human reaction. Um, it's also a symptom of, of bipolar. And the fact that someone like I, who has bipolar, can express irritation without it being perceived to be um, bipolar. That's, I'm finding that a bit challenging at the moment. Yeah, I mean, we made a joke off air about, about you buying a flat or something. And we said, oh, are you manic again? And, and it was like we were trying to be funny and jokey. But I, I, I sensed it jarred a little bit. And you were like, oh, God. You know, no, no, really. I'm working in the evening because it's hot. You know, I'm buying a flat because it's useful. And that, that actually must be quite tiresome, I guess, after a while. Even uh, if it's yeah. This, this feeling that uh, you might be being monitored for potential yeah. signs yeah. of having another episode. Yeah when in fact you're just being yourself and you've got a right to be irritable sometimes, particularly if Justine's annoyed you for some valid reason, you know. And working yeah, with us as well. I <laughs> but but I, think, um, I, I feel like from this experience, I've gained more insight than anyone out of the experience. I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like I'm even more aware. Um, it's a bit like, you know, when something happens i don't know a flood or some power surge. like after the event they then put in all the stuff that would have happened would have stopped that event from happening in the first place but the reality is now it's happened it's incredibly unlikely to happen you know that kind yeah. of reaction to something like yeah. like that plane that crashed and then they changed the way that the doors were closed after mm -hmm. the fact but it's sort of that reactive thing um, i'm not comparing it to that but just getting my head around that at the moment a little. Well, there are insights to be gained from highs and lows. Is is yeah is the is the message perhaps you know? So as yeah. you said, um, you've you've sort of yeah. take one problem, which is a startup, and you've looked at it from two different angles, arguably yeah. fairly extreme. One one from a high and one from a low, and it's almost like you've covered it from all angles, if you see what I mean. And you've worked out that the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And you can remember, I guess, you've got a, a cognitive map of how you perceived this yes. uh, in those different mood states. And you can kind of draw on them, perhaps, in the way that you uh, promote this uh, business going forward. Is that right? And the way you, and the way you kind of perceive it ha uh, having potential as well. And I think we're going to go on to the next episode, so I don't want to say too much about the learning yeah, from the I depressive phase. But... Uh, suffice it to say you sort of tweaked the angle a little bit of your business with reflection now on that point absolutely one of the things with the gardening business that feels great is that I have seen it from both sides and now the steps that we've taken as I've got better as a team much more as a team have been quite small steps but small steps taken with great insight that now are paying dividends with a fraction of the work and stress that I was putting myself under before 
it's like it, it kind of revealed the opportunity. Um, so yeah, I, I value very much the, the pain of, of feeling that everything was failing and everything was falling apart because it made me explore it from that angle um, to be able to move forward. But there are also sort of bigger, deeper issues that I think Pete kept using the phrase um, open-ended questions, which I found quite interesting. How do I become financially self-sufficient and, and secure for the future? You know, that just seems like a mammoth, mammoth question. So step by step, I guess that's what Pete is really good at. Right, that's good. That's his specialism, really, isn't it? Sort of okay. Let's yeah. Where do, you know there's the short term goal and there's a long longer term goal, which I think you you still find is is unfulfilled, which is fair enough. You yeah, know, I, think, I think that's fair enough. I, but I think there's also embracing. Sorry, I think there's also embracing your personality because the work that I'm now doing is still quite diverse. I'm exploring work within consultancies and design agencies. And then I've got someone who has a business in Ibiza that's picking my brain. I've been asked to direct something. So I actually, (laughs) I was talking to a financial advisor today. I drew a mind map, which isn't dissimilar from a lot of the drawings I did when I was high. And, And so I can see that someone might look at it and go, hold on, Ash, you're not being very focused here. And hold on, Ash, you're thinking about um, a decision about purchasing something but almost I guess that's the challenge of of someone breaking down a very complex human being into literally signs and signifiers uh, versus what's going on in my brain which is based on 42 years of living and learning and continually moving forward we're complex I guess uh, to break down um, why people behave the way they do and why the what are the decisions they make separate from whether they're high or low i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah i wanted to pick up on one other thing from this recording which was uh, falling asleep as a protective mechanism mm. uh that was something that pete suggested you know that it was protective i thought that was really interesting because i never really seen it as something positive before it sort of switched it from mm. a complaint that patients you normally have, oh, I'm sleeping too much. You know, it's part. It's all part of that continuum of lethargy, mm. and I get fatigued too easily. But it's almost like your brain is has too many questions floating around inside it, too many anxieties. And if someone asks you a question, it can be quite a simple one um, that you feel has too many complex answers you're you're sort of switch off <laughs> i quite like that it's not even i can think of one time when we were driving to work so we were going to drop any school i did not want to leave the house but i thought oh, i'll just go along and we were driving in the car and justine asked something and it and it was almost like i didn't even think about what she was saying i just woke up at work 20 minutes later it was like my brain just went whoop like <laughs> i just like, mm. passed out in the car it's like, it's like it went on, went on standby. There's no way you're going to get away with that uh, when you're well, that's for sure. In fact, I can absolutely uh, guarantee it. I was like, so sorry, darling. I, uh, you put me to sleep with your inanity, uh, said no successful husband ever. There's one thing, um, one thing I noticed, actually, but I really enjoyed the conversation. One thing I noticed as a layman, but, but, but a sort of slightly educated layman learning from Paul over the years, is 
a lot of what you said, particularly in the first recording, in fact, particularly when you were talking to Pete before the first recording, really, sounded to me like uh, there was almost an anxiety, panic attack element to your suffering in that um, you, you've told this story a couple of times about getting a job um, and then almost not being able to cope with that news, even though it was good news, and sort of walking out, which felt like a sort of panic flight, a literal flight reaction. Well, not flight as in a bird, but flight as in getting away out of that space. And um, I know that anxiety and depression are inextricably linked, but I'm wondering from both your perspectives, the clinician and the, and the, and the sufferer, I know he said victim then, Jesus, uh, the, and, and the sufferer, how much of an element of anxiety did you feel was part of your condition, um, as well as a depression, which we're focusing on? But I, I feel there's a real high level of anxiety in there as well, from what I can hear. Yeah, this time it felt like much more than in my 20s. Although, as you just pick apart that incident where I was doing well in a work, in a job and I got offered the bigger job and then I basically crashed and had to leave. Um, but I felt much more anxiety this time. Um, and I, I did a few things that to counter it that were quite kind of systematic things just to give me something to hang on to. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned it when I was talking to Pete, but I had this particular meditation podcast and my shoes and my jumper by the bed every evening so that when I woke up in the night and I was anxious, I'd go, right, my shoes are there, my jumper's there, put on this podcast. Um, so I felt it a bit more keenly this time. Um, yeah, and, and approached it in quite a systematic way. I haven't really noticed that before, but it was a long time, you know, so wee while ago since anything else has happened. So, yeah, it came know. across really strongly. Podcasts can be amazing, can't they? Really, uh, at, at night, um, good ones. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm joking. This is a good one, um, <laughs> uh, uh, particularly when it comes to sort of relaxation. I quite like uh, philosophy. So philosophy sort of engages your brain. Uh, and takes you out of yourself and also makes you work so you get uh, sleepy and there's sort of something comforting about a philosopher rambling on about the meaning of life and the and the mm -hmm. fact that our spirit our spirit body lives forever and uh, and uh, there is meaning and stuff there's the comfort in the words themselves but actually in the action of being almost distracted really from your own thoughts by by the thoughts of someone else late at night and I, I use that very much myself um i've just remembered something that i didn't mention sorry just as you were talking there um, I, I had, um, right at the beginning, I'd forgotten about this, these kind of sort of waking nightmare things where I'd wake up, like cold sweats, like uh, there was one night, I think, almost like feeling like there were ghosts or something. So the anxiety was like this waking up in this state of just my head full of sort of fear and anxiety. But it was kind of mm. like a, actually talking about it doesn't make me feel very good, but like a cold sweats kind of anxiety it's always triggering yeah. yeah the reason i guess it doesn't make you feel uh, uh good is that you're literally triggered by the memory and yeah. your amygdala's going jesus christ that's gonna happen again and then you're like yeah. no it doesn't and then oh, it's, right. oh it's too late now i'm yeah. flooded with adrenaline now yeah, thanks I a forgot, lot amygdala I, I forgot about that but i don't recall that happening in my 20s um, yeah no yeah. yeah, well that's uh, that's interesting i remember pete talked about lots of really uh, interesting things right like particularly in the second audio that you started recognizing the knowledge that it will pass and um he also talked about he's very wise your pete i must say he also talked about uh, the messenger rather than the message 
um, oh, which sort yeah. of led me to believe the usefulness in saying, look, my brain is doing all these things, but it's, it's sort of trying to tell me that I'm in distress and I should do something about it, a little bit like um, a bruise hurts when you prod it. Um, the messenger yes. rather than the message. I found that really fascinating. I liked that expression as well. As well. I'm going to log that and use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember... Also, actually, when we were talking about the message and the messenger, we talked about physical pain as well and how, of course, physical pain is an incredibly useful device for knowing when yes. things are going wrong. I don't know if, the, if that the physical pain versus the mental pain thing had any resonance with you. Yeah, I mean, that was really odd because I reached out in this kind of uh, point of um, crisis to, to Pete and Pete and I had a conversation. And I think it was the second conversation I was walking the dog and I suddenly got this horrible pain in my chest and I was trying to carry on talking and I had to stop talking and then it got worse and worse. And then, and then he was just, he said this point about the messenger rather than the message. And I ended up sort of lying down and yeah, it was, it was a very weird moment because it felt good to feel physical, to be physically sort of falling to the floor in pain when mental pain doesn't give you the break in a way. I, I can't quite explain it. This reminds me of something that Paul said in one of our episodes when we were talking about depression in other cultures. And he says it sometimes presents itself as a physical pain. And partly that is because they are. So the, the, the patient is suffering from a physical pain as well as a psychological one. But partly is a sort of method of um, not admitting that it's something inside the head. Um, I can't remember the phrase you used, Paul, but it was uh, shoulder pain. Um, or heaviness of soul or something was a, a really rather elegant phrase that some cultures had of had of oh had yeah um, you would call clinical depression feeling like you're carrying a weight on your shoulders is quite a common one or used to be in india it's gonna oh, i've got I've, I've got a weight on my shoulders doctor yeah yeah you mentioned that about the subcontinental uh, culture particularly it's quite interesting actually the cultural differences in how people express anxiety or panic really it's panic isn't it um it, you're much more chest pain in the in Europeans and much more stomach pain in the Chinese. The Chinese have much in their culture. They focus much more on, uh, you know, the stomach being the health, the center of all health. <laughs> and we think about the heart, right? perhaps in, in romantic terms, but also in terms of health, you know, and the, and the, and the term depression as in mental depression comes from uh, heart depression, which was the old fashioned term for heart failure. Um, Good Lord. Sort of slowing of the heart, slowing of the mind, sort of both, both sort of how, how the, the, the term depression bled over from one to the other. It's, it's funny, isn't it? There's, there's something a bit more comforting about a pain that you know will get better. Oh, the, the body will sort itself out. That's why I'm in pain. But in the mind, there's always this nagging doubt. Is this permanent? Is this more serious? Am I going crazy? Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Thousands of people uh, end up in A&E every year with anxiety-related chest pain. So... I think in the middle of it, it's not very reassuring. <laughs> so, No, I suppose chest pain is a bad example. I was thinking of if you stub your toe. But yeah, you're right. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I suppose. Well, we've used that analogy before where we've said that pain is useful um, when you've got a physical disorder. Um, but I suppose it's confusing when it happens as a consequence of a mental disorder to a degree. Yeah. Because you're so yeah. used to going to <laughs> a doctor with a physical ailment you sort of just assuming just assume that a physical symptom has a physical cause well it does i suppose ultimately it's though the origin is is in the brain yeah well i suppose we've circuitously analyzed this and it it hasn't been as um it hasn't been as down 
down down the making as I've I've uh, as I thought it was going to be actually. Like I say, I didn't like hearing a mate going through terrible times, and then when you started saying that you weren't even being honest, then it was actually it was actually worse, and I can sort of imagine <laughs> that. I think the two audios were well chosen. You had one in the dip, and then there was sort of a glimmer of a glimmer of light in the second one, which was which was quite nice, and some and some good points that Pete was making that seemed to be resonating and helping with you. And and I, I like the way that you don't just absorb everything he says. You you can challenge on some types, which is what makes a good coach. You don't just yeah. they're not just a wise man you visit. There's someone you work things out with, and and <laughs> yeah, he's not saying no. You're wrong, Ash. It was <laughs> yeah. 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 This is this is what you were thinking. You know. Have you thought of another therapist, um, another life coach? I, I don't want to coach this life. I don't like the sound of it. Um, is is I, I the opposite of what You made an important point about the distinction between those two audio notes because it does take work to do that. Mm. I remember when I had my lows in my 20s and I didn't really know what was going on. It was almost like I sunk into them mm-hmm. and I didn't take the harder route, which was trying to figure out what I could learn from it and to to sort of really experience what was going on i kind of retreated into myself almost so, yes but it's not your fault that that happened i just think when you're younger it's harder you don't have the maturity to step yeah. back from the feeling i think and analyze it in the in the way that you can when you're a bit older you know you can yeah. you can and also as it's what i mean a lot of people have said to me before it's like well i know it's i know what it is now you know it's my black dog it's come back here it's almost like an old friend back back Mm. it is i mean i'm not enjoying it and i feel like it's a waste of time (laughs) and i'd love to be more positive but i just need to be patient and uh you know just stick with it and as you said about about the routine and the structure that's really important so you you still had the child care you know, you still had some things that you were capable of doing because they'd become routine. But the very routine and that very activity is what helps to bring you out of it as well. But you just have to be patient with yourself and not become depressed about being depressed. The other thing it does, it, it, it makes normality feel wonderful, I guess. Because um, wonderful, uh, normal life, it can be quite wonderful. You know, just getting up, seeing your son, going out, doing some good work, seeing a friend, having a beer, the sunshine, whatever. Uh, and I think these lows maybe put that into a bit of relief so that normal life actually seems pretty cool after you've had a, mm. a low like you have. I don't know. Um, I think, it, yeah, it, like little things like, oh, having a nice sip of tea or, you know, enjoy a nice <laughs> meal. Well, that's the point of um, mindfulness and yoga and those things, right, is about appreciating the smaller moments. Mm. I I would argue that before I had this high, and in fact, the very essence of these audio notes was me trying to do that. Mm. And in the end, being unable to avoid what happened, even though I was appreciating the small and the big. Mm. um, But yeah, having now gone through it, I feel like I've got a whole sort of rainbow of <laughs> quieter and, and busier states. Even in your bleakest moments, you were still getting some joy from looking after Ernest. And it's funny, I've, it, it's the last thing to go, you know, for the people I've seen with depression, at various degrees of severity, that's the last thing to go. It's, it's You know, that is sort of primeval, isn't it? It's uh, so fundamental to our core. Um, that we sort of the hierarchy of needs or the hierarchy of motivations it might be if uh, mm. if, if that goes the love, the love of your child goes then mm. then what else is left 
I think maybe we're we're there. I think we're maybe there on this one. I think we're ready to spring back in the next episode hmm. uh, yeah. into into the light again. But that's having said that, this hasn't been a completely dark episode. It's been there's been some bad times, but there's been like you say, Ash. There's been learnings from it because you're mature enough now. You've been through it uh, 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 before to actually um, sit back, if you like, not absolutely surrender yourself to it, but actually sit back and look at it. Uh, and uh, and like Paul says, it becomes part of your life, which is not the most pleasant part of your life, particularly, but it's part of life that you understand, you can cope with, and um, and potentially can be of benefit to you. Yeah, in a way, um, it's sort of something that you wouldn't choose to go through, but you can learn from. What a nice way to end it. Yeah. Let's um let's end there and uh, look forward very much to the bounce back um and the lessons that come from that um which we will discover through a number of recordings uh multiple recordings uh that we'll be going through next time but in the meantime Ashley thanks yet again for sure. exposing sure. yourself so bravely <laughs> and uh, Dr Paul as ever farewell have lovely evenings all and we'll see you next time.